We've been going through the series, Revealed, and in it we've been talking about some of the different things that Jesus revealed about himself, and next week we're wrapping the series up. Um, In this series we talked about that Jesus revealed uh, a number of different things, and we could spend a whole year just talking about the different things that Jesus has revealed to us in the Gospels and and in Scripture that um, reveals about God. But we've looked at how Jesus revealed to us that he is God. And we talked about the deity of Jesus in the first uh, week. And then we looked at the second week, we looked at the, the curtain that was torn. And God revealing that, he, that we now had access to him. And so Jesus, when he died, he said, it is finished. And the curtain was torn. And when he died, you know, all of a sudden it's like, it wasn't just one priest once a year who could go into the presence of God. You and I, we have now full access to God anytime. God is not hidden behind a veil. He's not hidden behind this massive curtain and, and only certain people can go in and, and through the presence of God. You and I are now able to go into his presence whenever we want and whenever we, we need. And then last uh, Friday, like this Friday, Pastor Peter talked about how his, uh, the, the death of Jesus revealed victory. I think very often death is considered as a loss, but with Jesus, when Jesus died, it was our gain. We had victory and he has victory. And so when Jesus died, he revealed that there is victory. His death wasn't one that was, um, it was obviously sad, but it wasn't one where he stayed in the grave. And today we are going to talk about the resurrection. And so um, I want to uh, read to us this morning the resurrection story. And so if you have your Bibles with you, uh, look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. That's where we're going to start reading. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen, but we'd love for you to read this for yourself or get your little phone out or whatever device you use um, to follow along. We're going to work this morning from the premise that Jesus did rise from the dead. You're not going to hear me argue for his resurrection. We're going to talk about the significance of his resurrection. But we're working with the idea that this happened. Scripture says that he rose, so we're going to take Scripture at its word and believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so I want to read to you one account of the Gospels um, of his resurrection found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Here here it is. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I I love that. I love that this angel goes up to this tomb, rolls it away as if though it's nothing, and then it's just like, sits on the thing like, I got this, you know? You got to understand, the Pharisees asked that Pilate would put a seal on this thing, that he would secure it, and so there were soldiers posted there, we're going to read what happened to them in a little bit, but there's soldiers posted there. This thing would have been locked up. It wasn't like just anybody could show up and unroll, you know, roll the tomb away and, and open it up. This thing was locked up. Why? Because the rumor was that he was going to rise in three days. And so the Pharisees, they're going over to Pilate and saying, hey, just to kill any of these stories, let's make sure that we secure this thing with soldiers and that we lock this thing up. We put a seal on this thing so that when his disciples come and try to take the body there's no way because if we don't do this what's going to happen the disciples are going to come they're going to steal the body and then they're going to say see we told you Jesus was going to rise from the dead and so that's what they did well now the earth the angel shows up and like you know he just rolls this thing away as if it's nothing verse three his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow now look at what happened to the guards that were posted verse four the guards were so afraid of him 
of the angel that they shook and became like dead men. Who wouldn't? The angel said, well, obviously some time has now passed you know, from when this happened and when this next verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. So this is not some other Jesus. This is the one who was crucified. This is very important that we know who. He is not here, verse 6. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. So there's the first evidence. Look inside. He's not here. So the women were able to see for themselves. Then verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. And I love how Matthew um, mentions their emotion that they have here. Afraid yet filled with joy. I'm sure many of us in this room kind of can identify a little bit with what that's like. You've, you've got some joy, you know, you're so excited and yet there's like, oh, you know, oh, so glad we're going to buy a house, but oh, how are we going to pay this, you know, and all those kind of like, so afraid and yet filled with joy. And obviously this was far bigger than buying a house. And they ran to tell his disciples. Verse 9. Jesus suddenly met them. I think this is so cool. The angel's like, go. And Jesus' like, nah, I'm going to go and say hi. Before they get to the, you know, you women, you got, you got one up on us guys, just so you know. Jesus, like, met you first. And, ah, oh, a little jealous. But anyway, we'll move on. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then, verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Over and over, Jesus is saying, you're going to see me. They're going to see me. Go to such and such a place. It's not just some weird illusion. There isn't some mirage. It's a designated place. This was set up. This wasn't like they accidentally thought they saw Jesus. No, they went to the place where Jesus said to go, and there they saw him. And all of these things obviously are huge importance for the proof that Jesus rose. So Jesus is alive. He was seen by many people, and they could have refuted that he was alive. They could have said, no, he wasn't. You know, um, you know all these people that are mentioned in the scriptures, they could have said, no, 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 we, we never saw him. These angels, these, I mean, these uh, ladies, they could have said, oh, I don't know what this Matthew guy is writing about. We never had an angel appear to us in the garden. The disciples could have said, no, 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 I don't remember ever that happening. The two men on the, ra- on the road, they could have said, I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen. So all these people saw Jesus, and again, there's proof there that Jesus was indeed risen from the dead. Even the soldiers, if you keep reading Matthew's account, even the soldiers knew he rose from the dead. So what happened is the soldiers, they started going back into town, and, and they started talking, and they told the Pharisees, you know, what had happened is angel came down, and, and so what the, what the Pharisees did, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money saying, here's what we want you to say instead. If you want this money, take the money, but here's what we want you to do. We want you to go out there and tell people that you fell asleep and that the disciples came while you were sleeping and stole the, the, the body of Jesus. And then they even offer and they say, if there's going to be a trouble, if there's going to be trouble with Pilate, we'll take care of it. Because any soldier that fell asleep on duty was executed. And so not only were these guys given a large sum of money, they were also given this assurance that if there's problems with the Romans about why you guys fell asleep, that we'll take care of it and not to worry. And so right off the bat, the only people who were not um, accepting, accepting the resurrection of Jesus were those who had an ulterior motive. Because why? Jesus did indeed 
rise from the dead. The resurrection is a witness to the immense power of God himself. To believe in the resurrection is to believe in God. If God exists, then he created the universe and has power over it. He has the power to raise the dead. If he does not have such power, then he is not worthy. Our God is not worthy of our faith and our worship. Only he can create life. Only he who created life can resurrect it from the dead. And only he can reverse the sting of death itself. Why? Because he created and has the power to do so. The resurrection of Jesus is a testimony to the resurrection of the human beings. Unlike all other religions, Christianity alone is, um, possesses a founder, or is, uh, has a founder who transcends death and who promises that his followers will do the same. All other religions are founded by men and prophets whose end was the grave. But as Christians, we take comfort in the fact that our God became a man, died for our sins, was, uh, and was resurrected on the third day. The grave could not hold him. He lives, and he sits today at the right hand of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul outlines the results of the resurrection, or, or maybe what would not have happened had the resurrection not have happened. But look how he starts this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. In verse 12, he's going to argue about the resurrection, but now he wants to first outline what exactly happened. Look at this, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Okay, there's a debate in Corinth. You need to know this. Corinth says, people in Corinth are saying, there is no such thing as a resurrection. Okay, and so this is obviously a conflict within the church. There would have been a, a general belief in Corinth that said there is no such thing as a resurrection. You know, when you die, you die, so indulge and enjoy life. Because there's nothing beyond this life. And so Paul now comes and he says that what he has received is of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, which is also Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as one abnormally born. Paul's argument here is that there is a resurrection. And he's going to outline that if there is no resurrection, then Christ could not have been risen. But he outlines here very carefully that these are the people who Jesus appeared to. He appeared to 500 brothers and sisters at the same time. This wasn't, again, just a few people. This was a, a large group of people who all saw Jesus at the same time and who are still alive even while Paul is writing this. So there were a lot of people out there who said, no, we saw him resurrected. We saw him alive. And then he explains in verse 12 and on, Paul begins to explain the importance of the resurrection. Because if Jesus had not been risen, there are some things that we are basing our faith on that are then gone. And look at what he says here. But if but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? 
So you kind of get a sense that this must have been a, there must have been a lot of tension between you know, this, these two views. Maybe in the church there was an argument saying there is no resurrection from the dead. But Jesus rose. And so maybe with, even within the church there may have been some conflict. Well, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And, and Paul is now saying, how do you put these two together? How do, you, how do you align these? Because you can't say that Jesus rose, but say there's no resurrection. Verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And now he starts outlining some of the problems with our faith if Christ has not been raised. And Henry alluded to this before in his, in his opening there. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God and that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him in fact, if in fact, the, but if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of a people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. There are six main things here that Paul says would be the consequences if Jesus had not been raised from the dead. First would be the preaching of Christ would be senseless. Why be up here talking about Jesus? Why be up here preaching about Christ if he's dead? He's just another good guy who lived. And and why would we be wasting our time to preach the resurrection, to preach about the power of Jesus, to preach about forgiveness in Jesus is senseless because he's dead. And so Paul says, if we don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then our preaching is senseless. And he says, and our faith in Christ would be useless. Because it's our faith in Christ that says that we have forgiveness of sin in Jesus. And the reason we say that is because sin could not hold him, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Verse 3, all the witnesses and the preachers of the resurrection would be liars. Those 500 people, those apostles, Paul himself, he's basically saying we would all be liars if indeed Christ had not been raised. No one would be redeemed from their sin. And all former believers would have perished. And finally, Christians would be the most pitiful people on planet earth. And it makes sense, right? Imagine if we would restrict ourselves to a certain pattern of life. Because, well, as a Christian, I can only do this and this and this. So Paul's saying, if there is no eternal life, if Jesus hasn't been resurrected, if when you die, here on earth is all you have, because even Jesus couldn't be raised from the dead, why would you not just indulge in the pleasures of this earth? Because when you die, you die, and that's it. So Paul's saying, we're the most pitiful people on the planet earth, if there is no resurrection from the dead, why? Because why would we do these things to ourselves if Jesus himself couldn't even have been raised? The resurrection is the triumphant victory of, for every believer in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose the third day according to Scripture. And he is coming again. Why is the resurrection of Christ important to salvation? It demonstrates that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Had Jesus' sacrifice not been enough, Jesus would have stayed dead. I don't want you to miss this. No lamb, no goat, no um, animal ever came back to life. Why? Because it was never enough. So when the priests would sacrifice goats and they would sacrifice lambs and they would sacrifice all these animals for, for sin and for other um, so offerings that they had to offer, they always had to sacrifice over and over and over again. Why? Because that lamb was not enough. So if Jesus had not been enough, Jesus himself would not have been raised from the dead because his sacrifice would not have pleased God. But it did. And so God raised him from the dead because the sacrifice that needed to be paid was finally paid in full. It proves that God has power to raise us from the dead. It guarantees that those who believe in Christ will not remain dead. This earth is not our final resting place. That there will be life beyond this life. That one day we will also be resurrected in Christ and spend eternity with him in heaven. The resurrection is one of the major evidences that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Paul affirms this in Romans chapter 4 verse 1 when he, he affirms that Christ is the appointed, appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' resurrection gives us assurance that we can have forgiveness for our sins. Paul contended, remember, he said, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So then the opposite is true as well. Now that Christ has been raised, you and I have forgiveness for our sins and we are free from the bondage of sin. The resurrection tells us that the world, tells the world that the kingdom of God is ruled by a living God. The founder of religions are dead, and their bones lie dormant in the earth. But the founder of Christianity is alive. Sixty years after his death, sixty years after his resurrection, Jesus appeared to John, the apostle, on the island of Patmos. And look at what John says about Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hates. Jesus is alive. Sixty years after his death and resurrection, he appears to John to again speak to him and to give him the book of Revelation so that you and I would have that as a beautiful um, promise for us of what's to come. Jesus' resurrection proves that physical death is not the end of human existence. God, who is the giver of life, has the power to reanimate the human body. Christ's triumph, triumph over the grave gives us assurance that we too shall be raised. 
You see, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then you and I, we should indulge ourselves on this earth, take in all its pleasures, and not worry about what's to come, because there is nothing to come. But the resurrection of Christ shows that there is a future for us. It proves that there is an existence beyond what is here on the earth. The resurrection showed that Christians will have ultimate victory through Christ. In the book of Revelation, again, Jesus is depicted as the lamb that had been slain and was standing in victory. When you read that passage, it says there that the people were, the, John was looking around because there was the seal that no one can open, and you sense this panic and urgency. Who's going to open the seal? Who's going to open the seal? And no one was found to be worthy to open the seal. And then the angel says to John, Behold, look, the Son of God who was slain. He and he alone can open the seal. So the resurrection proves that in Christ we have victory. So I want to ask this question, what does the resurrection then reveal to you and I about Jesus? We've talked about the significance of the resurrection. We, we talk about the importance of the res- resurrection, that we have life in him, that we have forgiveness for sin, that there, we go beyond this earth, that there's, there's victory for our sins. But what does Jesus reveal about himself in the resurrection? Well, there are many things. But I want to leave us today with one. I want us to go home today with this one, and I, I think that this is going to be something that will comfort you and I much. I believe that in the resurrection, Jesus reveals that he has complete power. Now, you guys know me. I'm not the best when it comes to words, and so it's like, man, was it, is it full power? Is it absolute power? Is it, you know, and so finally I came up with the word complete because I think that there's so much in our lives that are incomplete, Relationships that are incomplete. Bank accounts that are incomplete. Jobs that are incomplete. There's so much in our lives that is lacking. There's uncertainty. There's, well, is it going to happen or isn't it going, isn't it going to happen? There are promises that aren't kept. And, and so we have these lives that are often you know, filled with these incomplete moments. Well, in Jesus, all power is given to him. He has complete power. This is a power that goes beyond the villains that you watch in movies. I don't know if you guys are going to watch movies. I'm sure you do. And you see these villains, man, you know, you know Superman movie, the Man of Steel, or you got Batman or, or whatever it is, and you see these movies, and it's like, this villain is so bad. You know, and, and, and they come up with better villains all the time. It's like, where were these villains last movie? You know, there's always a bigger one and a better, badder one. And, and you watch some of these movies and you're like, this is so bad. Well, Jesus' power goes beyond those villains, obviously. But it even goes beyond the superhero. Woo, don't you love it when the superhero always wins at the end of the movie? Amazing. Every time. Ha, huh, didn't see that coming. He wins again, you know. Here's this superhero, and the villain is so bad, and you kind of got anxiety, and you're sweating, and you're crying, or whatever you do at movie theaters or at home, and you got your popcorn, and you're just stuffing your mouth, and you're like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And the villain is so bad, and then all of a sudden, the superhero shows up, and he battles, and there's this raging battle that goes on forever and ever, and buildings are destroyed, and people are screaming, and, and cars blow up, and this long battle, but then finally the dust clears and out walks the superhero, and he's won. Jesus 
is not even anywhere near that. The power of Jesus is complete. I want you to understand this. There isn't going to be a long battle at the end of times. Satan is already beat. The other thing with, with Jesus and Superman, you know, Superman has kryptonite and Batman has, I don't know what Batman has, and I'm not really into superheroes, I don't even know why I went superhero theme, um, but all these superheroes, some of them have memories, you know, they're like, oh, they come back to memory. Some of them have relationships that they're, you know, have trouble with, and, and so in their armor, in their strength, there's some weakness, you know, they're, they're in there and they're going, oh man, if, if this guy shows up with kryptonite, Superman's done for. Well, Jesus has no weakness in his armor. And that's important for you and I to understand because sometimes I think we, we may feel that, well, maybe this will hinder Jesus' strength. So Jesus' power goes way beyond any superhero or any villain. This power goes beyond anything that you and I can fathom. Because I think it's very difficult for us to fathom complete power. Why? Because we are so weak and we are so broken. So you and I, we're not shocked when we realize that we're at a spot in our lives where there's something beyond our strength. If someone was sick, none of you in this room would be like, I'm shocked that I can't do anything about this. We've accepted this fact that there's limitations to our lives. We've accepted that there's weakness. We've accepted that our strength is incomplete. We've accepted that there's brokenness in our lives. So maybe it's difficult for us now to somehow see Jesus as the one who has complete power. Jesus as the one who is not weak in any area. You see, Jesus is not limited by anything. He has complete power. And he revealed that when he rose from the dead. Not even death could contain him. I want you to just try to picture this with me. Imagine your sin and my sin as the, as the hold on Jesus. Or maybe as the dirt or the chains or the linen that was wrapped around him holding him. So it's your sin and my sin that's, that's holding him. It's your sin and my sin that put him to the, on the cross because it had to be paid for. So we could argue and say our sin caused Jesus to die because he was willing to give his life for our sins to cover and to pay for the penalty of our sin. So now we would say that our sin caused Jesus to die. So let's just take that now. We say now he was placed in the tomb holding our sin, the weight of our sin on him. So if there was no resurrection, and if Jesus does not have complete power, then your sin and my sin would have kept him there. So we would say if he wasn't risen, if he didn't rise, then we would have to argue and say the one thing he did not have power over was sin. But he did rise. Your sin and my sin has been forgiven. So there's complete power. Your sin, my sin, nothing could keep Jesus in the tomb. Acts chapter 2, verse 24 says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Jesus revealed that he has complete power. I want you to think about yourself for a moment and realize that this power that Jesus has, this complete power, 
that it goes beyond any circumstance you have. That this complete power goes beyond any experiences that you're in. It goes beyond your insecurities. He's not limited by how you view yourself. It goes beyond your failures. It goes beyond how you feel about yourself, whether you like yourself or not, whether you think you're worth something or not. It's not hindered hindered by anything. It overcomes every struggle you find yourself in. This power goes beyond whatever you've been told that you're worth, or whatever you've been told you're not worth. This power goes beyond all the bad experiences that you have, all the memories, all the, all the times that you've failed, all the sin that you've committed. This power goes beyond all of that. It is not limited by anything. This is power to forgive every sin. Remember, it was your sin and my sin that caused Jesus to go to the cross. It was your sin and my sin that had to be accounted for. And if it was your sin and my sin that kept him there, then we would know that he was not completely powerful. But he rose, and so there is no sin that you have in your life that Jesus has not paid for. He has complete power to rescue you from whatever situation you find yourself in this morning. He is not bound by any circumstances or any experiences. There is no one in this room who has something in their life that goes beyond the power of Jesus. If you did, he would still be in the grave. Because it would be your one thing that he did not have power over. But he's alive. He's alive. So whatever you're facing today, whatever struggle, whatever sin, I want you to know that Jesus has complete power over it. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. But I want us to respond. And I'm looking over you, and, I, and this is so cool with it being a smaller crowd. I, can, I pretty much know all of you. You guys are good people. Here's what I want you to think about today, though. Is there an area of your life you're maybe stuck Is there an area of your life, maybe there's a sin, or there's an insecurity, there's something that you believe that you shouldn't believe, and you can't seem to move beyond it. Maybe your passion for God is somehow just evaporated. I had someone tell me a while ago, they said, I read the Bible, but when I look into it, it just seems so empty, and I just don't get anything. Another person came in and said, the same sin I struggle with, I've been struggling with for so long. I've always struggled with this. And I can't seem to have victory. See, you and I, we are comfortable with our brokenness. And I think sometimes we settle and we think this is just the way it's going to be. Because we're, we're okay with being weak. We know we're weak. But I want you to know today that Jesus gives you power to overcome whatever you need. So is there an area of your life today that you're like, in this area, I must have victory, and I can have victory in Jesus? You know me, I'm not an altar call kind of guy. 
I'm not going to make you come up. And I know that drives some of you nuts because you'd love to have a big crowd up here and all that. But you need to respond, though. You need to respond. Because if there's an area of your life where you are being, um, where you're incomplete, there's an area of your life where you don't have victory. I want you to know today that Jesus has complete victory over that area in your life, and you need to surrender it to him. So I want to challenge you as we sing this closing song, and you can do it right now already. You just say, Jesus, I know that you have complete victory. You rose from the dead, and because you rose from the dead, you have complete power over everything, and I want to claim that power for myself. And if you have never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, this is for you. This is for you. It was for you and me that he died. So that you and I could today say, he didn't die in vain. Maybe you have questions and maybe you have things that you can't seem to sort out in your head. That's okay. But I want you to know today that Jesus has the power to forgive you and to cleanse you and to give you new life. And I pray that you would respond. So I want to ask you one favor. I'm not going to make you come up front, so thank you very much. I would ask, though, that if you respond... Would you let me know? I would love to celebrate with you. And that's maybe selfish sounding. It, it, I don't mean it to be like that. I just would love to celebrate with you because I believe the church needs to celebrate what has happened in your life. So I'm not going to make you come up here and stand and, and let everyone see you. But man, I would love to celebrate with you and so would the church because we have all experienced this incredible power of Jesus. So let's pray and then let's respond with singing the song together. Father God, we want to thank you so much that your son Jesus, whom you sent to die for the sins of humanity, and he went through with it. Man, when I think about the Garden of Eden, I mean the Garden of Gethsemane and, and the agony of Jesus in that place, Jesus, you literally asked, is there another way? Because you knew what was coming. But your love for us was so great that even in that moment of maybe some hesitation, when you became clear again, when it became clear that this is what the Father had wanted for you, you didn't run. You took up that cup. And you died. You died for the very people you created because we had turned against you. But death couldn't hold you. You're not dead. You're alive, and I have experienced you in my own heart. And so I pray for anyone in this room who at this moment is maybe resisting. I pray that they would sense your presence right now, and they would sense your unbelievable love. And that this power that you have is complete. used to overcome whatever resistance or whatever wall they may put up to keep them from having a relationship with you. And if there's someone in here who has given their life to you, but maybe they, maybe they live in this secret area of their life where they have this sin that they can't seem to conquer, I pray, God, would you show them today that you have power even 
over that sin. And that you can cleanse them and that they can be free to worship you without having that as a part of their life. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for this. And we pray now as we sing this song that we would just lift our voices to you. This power that raised you from the dead lives in us. Amen.